every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Raj Kara, head of growth at Sales Intel, the leading sales intelligence platform and B2B contact data provider. Raj has been an investor, advisor, and partner to B2B SaaS companies for 26 years and served as CEO and CMO of three B2B SaaS businesses that successfully sold to public companies. On this episode, Raj delves into why paying attention to SEO is his number one piece of advice for a first-time head of growth. He also discusses the do's and don'ts of strategic personalized gift giving and shares some of his favorite one-liners that have been influential in his career. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Raj Kara, head of growth at Sales Intel, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to another episode of Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by special guest, Raj. How are you? Good, good. Uh, good to see you, Ian. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show. Uh, exciting to catch you all. At this time, Sales Intel is, uh, is growing like crazy, hiring like crazy, and you're selling and marketing like crazy. So uh, really excited to be chatting about uh, that and, uh, and much more today. So before we uh, get into all that, what was your first job in demand gen? You know, so I'm actually uh, an engineer by training. So my first job job was actually working as an engineer for the United States government. And I realized I enjoy communicating information way more than I enjoyed engineering. So I transitioned uh, and started uh, my first company. It's called GovCon. It was a portal for government contractors to find bidding opportunities. This was well before the internet actually started taking off where, where the government started putting their stuff online. My first role was building that company, which included a lot of demand generation. And so, you know, we created lots of different plans, techniques, marketing strategies, and ended up growing to uh, about 100,000 customers in just about four years. Uh, and then we got acquired. So that was, uh, that was a fun ride. It was a fast ride. It was a fun ride. Bumpy ride, too. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> of course. And so flash forward to today. Tell us about Sales Intel. Tell us about the company that you all are, are rocking. Sales Intel helps companies, business-to-business companies, identify and connect with decision makers who are showing intent around the products and services uh, that you offer. So this allows you to connect, make that connection really fast, and uh, it usually improves your sales cycle. And some of our clients tell us it's like 10x difference in in how quickly they're able to close deals. So yeah, we provide contact information, uh, especially along with intent information, makes your sales cycle improve a lot faster. So we are we are growing. We are adding. You know, business development reps, uh, account executives, um, adding to my marketing team. Uh, and uh, so if anybody's listening and they're looking for a, for a new role, I'm happy to talk to you about it. So uh, we are growing very fast. And your role is head of growth, which is exciting. We love uh, the head of growth uh, titles and, and seeing that in marketing. So what, what falls under you as head of growth? So at, at Sales Intel, what we're doing is 
the growth role is really uh, right now a lot of it is, is traditional marketing activities demand generation product marketing lead generation we also tie into product market research which is part of our product marketing roles and then i cl- work very closely with our client success teams for our land and expand, our renewal, our upsell strategies, as well as our sales team to help them uh, get empowered with all the information they need to help close more sales too. So we we try to reduce the silos and really work collaboratively uh, as a team. Let's get into our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is where we go into honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. What's your demand gen strategy? We have a, a pretty uh, comprehensive strategy. So it, 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 we include pay-per-click ads. We, um, we do sponsorships. We do a lot of work with SEO, and that's actually the crux of uh, the strategy. So we identify terms that people would be searching on that are related to things that we could help with and then see which ones would have a pretty good chance of us getting ranked on. So we start that with the SEO part of it. And then we tie that in with our ad campaigns as well. So that's where we're doing uh, a lot of our business. We actually get lots of traffic to the website too. So tweaking things on the home pages, on blog pages, so that we can capture a visitor and convert them into a lead. So we do a lot of work there also. Right now, we're just exploring how we get back into the event game, you know, with the whole world sort of, uh, we all, I think maybe just a month ago, we all thought, yes, everybody's vaccinated or whoever's going to be vaccinated is vaccinated and we're going to start getting back into the swing of things. And now we're starting to see this uh, uh, Delta variant still kind of put the brakes on things. We're not sure where that's going to head, but we are exploring events as a big, uh, big next step for us again. We used to do events before, but... Haven't done it in a while, obviously, like a lot of people. And uh, what's your org structure look like? How do you think about how you know demand gen fits with uh, with sales, with uh, your additional marketing opportunities here? So, um, so uh, the the demand gen roles report to me. The um, the product marketing roles also also do. Uh, and for demand gen, we also work with our content team too. So they'll come up with articles. We have we have several writers. Again, that's all tied to our SEO strategy. So, you know, just to give you an example, we'll have our SEO team identify areas where we should probably have content because we're seeing searches being done on it. In some cases, it's got a low keyword difficulty. So they'll actually identify things that we can help with, our products can help with, and we provide articles that show solutions to problems people might be facing. So that's how we start with uh, the article and the, the content there. And then we look at it from the perspective of, well, do we have a top of the funnel piece? Do we have a middle of the funnel piece? And do we have a bottom of the funnel piece? And we create stuff to just kind of nurture people through that buyer journey. So that gets put onto our site initially. And then from there, what we do is start our PPC campaigns as well to tie into those same keywords to help drive more traffic and uh, and get more of the flow into the funnel. So in terms of org structure, we've got writers, we've got editors, we've got um, we've got designers to produce infographics, social media posts for us. We've got our marketing team to create webinars out of the content, um, and then and then uh, and then of course the product marketing team to convert the, uh, the the stuff that we're actually doing, the features we're building, into plain English marketing talk so that we can actually market it too. So that's the overall gist of the. The structure there. So let's get into to your your product, your market, your persona. Who are you selling to? 
So we have a um, handful of personas that really buy our product, and then we also have uh, other personas that use our product. So what I try to do is create a slide that maps what you know, the personas want. So on the slide, we've got a picture of a person. We give them a name and a title. So you know, in our case, we might have Sam, who's the VP of sales at a company. And so they have buying authority, ballpark budget, and we look at what the pain points they have. And then so based on those pain points, we'll try to address uh, messaging that would resonate with somebody like Sam in sales. And then so we've got similar things for marketing. So we also cater to the CMOs, um, VP of marketing roles too, because they're responsible for demand generation. And that's where our data can come in really handy. And then another persona is the sales operations person. So the person who's the Salesforce administrator, someone managing the CRM, someone connecting all of the technologies that you have to make sure that the data is accurate because we have Salesforce integrations to enrich data. So, you know, you don't want your sales team looking at your Salesforce database and saying, oh, here's a contact we haven't called in two years. Let's go try to reach out to them. And you try to call them up and uh, they left a year and a half ago, right? So you want to keep your database enriched. So that's another thing that we, we have as a feature to be able to do that. You know, we, we, we have an army of people who human verify the B2B contact data. And that's one of the big differentiators that we have is that if there's a contact that you want at a company and for whatever reason we might not have it in our system, you can click a button and have our team actually do the research for you. And in a very short period of time, just get all that information already updated to you right inside Salesforce so you don't really need to do all that work. So it makes getting the right contacts pretty painless. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is, you know, for obviously, you know, the marketers listening where we're trying to figure out how to do personalization. We're trying to figure out who the heck is is coming to our website. We're trying to figure out how to have, you know, conversations in real time. We're trying to figure out how to really help our sales team and be a great partner to them. The old adage that, uh, you know, marketing has two customers, uh, the customer and sales. And figuring out you know, who are the right people getting a clean, uh, getting clean information to be able to do these campaigns is more critical than, than ever. And it's, and it's really at the point now where, you know, you and I were talking about this before this of like, you know, when, when my team asks, asks for this stuff, it's like, you know, you're, you're, you just hand over the money, right? It's like, it's, it's a no brainer. So I'd imagine that's part of the key to your all success uh, right now is it just is so critical. So what are you seeing from a market perspective in terms of um, the need for, for your product? Um, you know, being able to have that clean B2B contact data because it, it's beyond critical. So we're seeing a very big demand for it. So there's, um, I mean, people want to save time connecting with with folks. And the last thing you want is to be spending all of your investment on account executives, on business development people, and having them spend 30, 40% of their time hunting for the contacts that they should be reaching out to, right? If you can just get that information, suddenly they become way more productive. And so it's not just the contact information. So uh, uh, sure, a story, one of our clients uses our intent data. And this is actually one of our like really, really powerful features inside our, our product line. And so intent data will show you whether someone is trending on a specific type of topic. So it was like earlier this year, the Colonial Pipeline, I think they got hacked, right? And so ended up shutting down gas, at least on the eastern part of the United States. I remember standing in the gas line for 45 minutes, hoping that my gas tank won't run out of gas before I can fill it up. And so a lot of people were concerned about that. And it was all due to a ransomware attack. So if you're an IT services company and you're, you're you know, seeing that in the news, you can actually go into our portal 
Look for oil and gas companies that are between 5 and 50 million that are searching for topics like ransomware, IT security, things like that. I love it. Right now, right? So this is not like, okay, these people are trending on this topic right now. So when you reach out to somebody that's looking for a specific topic and you say, hey, you know, open up with a polite message. Don't say, hey, I saw you searching for oil and gas, uh, uh, ransomware topic. That's a little creepy. So you don't want to reach out with that kind of messaging, right? But I think we all know that as demand. Well, maybe not all of us, but most of us know that as a demand generator, uh, you don't do that. So, but you can reach out to them. We found one of our clients was using this strategy and they saw a 10x increase 10x increase in the, the the response rates, the content downloads that they were using just by focusing on people showing intent for their products and services rather than blanketing people who they thought would want their services. Big difference in, uh, in, in their closing cycle. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, you talked about how it's 95% accurate human verified. This is another thing, you know, the days of, of kind of just buying the list and hope and pray and all that stuff is gone. Uh, it's been gone, yeah. And you know, you, you we need to make sure that you know, for spending all this effort to to get folks in front, that it's important. You know, you mentioned the intent information. How is marketing using using this uh, this info? Well, they're using it in a in a similar way too. So if you if you're looking to build up your pipeline, which is you know that's the, one of the biggest roles of marketing, right? Is to build up that pipeline to, so that your sales team has qualified leads to talk to. When you actually go do uh, searches on intent. There's always going to be a new set of people. So when you go into the database today and see who's searching on these types of product and services, you might find you know, 492 companies, 862 companies looking for the types of, uh, of products and services you offer. And that's searches being done in the last couple of weeks. You do it again in the next like month, uh, and you'll find brand new companies that are now surging on those types of topics. So there's always a really strong lead flow when you start using intent information. And the beauty of what you can get inside Sales Intel is not just the companies that are doing the searches. Let's say you know the personas you want to go after. Well, we can tell you the the, the companies that are trending on your product. You know, we can't tell you who because we don't know who. That's all privacy-related stuff, right? But we can tell you the company that would be working on it. So if you take a look at your persona and you overlay that with the contact information and you say, well, all right, show me people looking for ransomware that are in oil and gas companies chances are that person is going to be in IT, right? It could be the director of IT, the VP of IT, somebody in charge of security. So you can look for those titles and then download that from our database. And there you go. That's your starting point. So marketing can actually use this as part of a demand generation funnel and start peppering them with cadences to warm them up as your team then gets those contacts to reach out to as well. The other thing you could do, you can look at the um, the, the companies that you're that we're showing uh, intent on, and you can start remarketing to them too. So whether it's on LinkedIn or other channels that uh, do remarketing, you could do that. That that also allows you to have multiple touch points as you start to nurture them, right? Air cover, all that. You know, we talk a lot about conversational marketing on this. Uh, once they hit their website, no, you know, we if you're doing ABM, you know who these people are. Uh, in a lot of cases, the accounts that you're going after you have the list of people, when they hit their website, having a conversation in real time, what does your information uh, or what does you know a sales intel customer have in terms of an advantage there? So we actually have a feature called visitor intel, and that will tell you 
who's visiting your website. So you can actually get that right inside our contact information and our team can help get all that set up with the right uh, tracking code and so on. So you can actually convert more website visitors into qualified leads by knowing who they are. And I agree with you about the conversational marketing part. Uh, That is definitely a really strong way for uh, ABM campaigns to work. So, you know, at my last company, I was um, I was a CMO over at the Wealth Engine before we, we sold it in uh, December last year, and we actually instituted conversational marketing there, and that really worked well. I remember seeing people come to the website uh, who were... I guess they were responding to the other marketing channels that they'd seen us on, that we'd been been touching them with. In some cases, our reps had been reaching out to maybe other people in the company, and but someone completely different side of the company comes and reaches out to us, and we're able to generate a lot of meetings just from that type of uh, interaction. So conversational marketing is definitely part of the mix. Okay, let's get to our playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Playbook is where you open up your playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three uncuttable budget items, Raj? Very first one, without question, is search engine optimization. That is that is the basis of how we start a lot of our strategies because it gives us information on what people are looking for. And I think the big thing there is to make sure that you pay attention to the long tail strategy. A lot of times people will just look at one or two really short keywords and say, well, that's so broad. People, I don't know what they're searching on. But you really have to look a little bit deeper and figure out where there's opportunity there, where there's good search volume and low keyword density. And you combine the two and that actually gives you a really good playbook to go forward. So from that, that actually informs a lot of the other things that we do. And that would include pay-per-click, so we do get uh, pretty decent traction on those. Uh, you know, that that's um, that's an interesting game because then when you start getting traction, other people notice also, and then the keywords start getting more expensive, and then you identify other keywords. So there's all kinds of stuff to do there. But actually, those would be my two uncuttable ones. If I had to pick a third, it would, it would be um, strategic sponsorships. And by that, I mean, uh, if we identify publications, newsletters, places that our personas hang out, uh, that's where we want to be also, right? We want to be in front of them. So so those are probably my top three. SEO, PPC, and then uh, strategic sponsorships. You mentioned some of those those uh, longer tail terms. Like how do you uh, how do you work with your team to think about those things? We use tools uh, like uh, my favorite is SEMrush. I like that a lot. Uh, I've had really good success with identifying keywords there where uh, where you 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 know, you have a little bit of a brainstorming session, but you can also do a competitive analysis to see where they are. And sometimes, actually, when you look at your competitors, they are all over the map. You know, I mean, it's not a strategic focus. And then uh, and then see uh, what variants of those keywords you could do for niche-specific audiences. So, for example, if you're targeting technology companies, IT companies, or, you know, managed service providers, if that's one of your markets, uh, focus on words that can create a long tail word for that. I remember I used to do this with one of my clients many, many years ago, and they were an accounting firm. So they wanted to get more business for their accounting firm. And they wanted to say, well, if someone searches on accounting, we want to be seen. I said, no, you don't, because you don't know what they're looking for. And so we dug deeper into what they specialize in. So they specialized in government contracting audits. So now when you look at the term accounting for government contracting audits or government contracting audits, or there's actually other terms that are related only to people who are looking at a DC, it's called a DCAA audit. So if you type in those terms, 
lower search volume, lower difficulty, but man, if someone's typing one of those terms, that's a customer you want to talk to. So it could be maybe 15, 20, 30, 40 people in a month that could be looking for something like that, but you'd make a $40,000 sale just by talking to these people. So it's a, that long tail is a really, really important component of the whole SEO thing. So tools, you know, Ahrefs is another one, uh, but again, my preferred one is uh, SEMrush. And then what about, you know, PPC? What, what types of things uh, are, are you all doing um, to drive revenue? So for PPC, we'll take the so nice thing about SEMrush. It actually gives you ideas for PPC too. And it tells you, uh, it gives you a sense of what other people may be paying for keywords. So we can look at that in line with our budget and see what kind of estimated traffic we might generate from uh, advertising. So for PPC, we look at numerous different locations. So not just Google ads. Uh, we also look at Bing. We look at strategic locations where our audience might be hanging out. So publications that sales leaders might read, marketing leaders might read, that do accept sponsorships. We'll try to you know, be in front there too. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we approach it. And then we do the thing that almost every company does. You break it down by campaigns, then you've got keywords inside your campaigns. You test different variants, A-B split test, um, you know, focus on landing pages that have very strong calls to action. So we're always iterating. You know, there's some pages that we find have really good traction. We don't touch those too much, but uh, we do try to test lots of different variations. I have found one interesting thing that seems to work not all the time, but it's this concept called newsjacking. Um, probably heard of it. Uh, David Mirvin Scott wrote a lot about it, coined the word, I think. And so it's basically when you tie something's going on in the news to your company. And so, like I mentioned with this example earlier, where Colonial Pipeline got hacked, just to be able to say that if you're any IT firm talking to an oil and gas company, if you reference Colonial Pipeline say, you don't want that happening to you. We can help you get more secure. This is how our tool set works, and these are the companies we're helping. You actually are probably going to resonate with somebody much more because they don't want to be on the front page news like the poor people over at Colonial Pipeline. <laughs> so, you know, that's a, that's a good strategy right there is to focus on newsjacking sometimes in your PPC ads too. I love it. Any other, uh, any other PPC strategies there? Um, that's actually one of my favorites. Uh, so, you know, the other thing you can do with PPC is, uh, you know, when you start doing remarketing. So if people come to your website, I wouldn't remarket to everybody that comes to your website, but if they come to a page that is maybe a bottom of the funnel page or some page that you've got a lead capture form on and they didn't, they either filled out or maybe they bounced off of that. Those people I'd probably want to remarket to. So, I mean, I guess if they fill out the form, you know who they are. So then you can remarket to them on LinkedIn because you've got their email address, that kind of thing. So that's pretty useful just because not everybody who fills out the form is going to convert. So what we want to do is like, you know, it's, it's math formula, right? You want to reduce your cost per lead. Uh, you want to increase the conversion rate from the lead to demo uh, because that'll then drive down your cost per demo. And then, of course, that translates to your CAC, your cost of acquisition of a customer. So you really just look at the math and figure out how much you can actually spend on acquiring a customer. So that would include a remarketing budget. That would include your PPC budget tied all together. Um, fun spreadsheet stuff. Not my favorite thing to do, but you got to do it, you know, so... Okay, well, let's talk, let's talk fun stuff. Uh, you mentioned sponsorships. I love sponsorships. I love thinking about them because I, you know I, I I think of it as that you know that portfolio approach and your sponsorships are those things that can drive you know that can pull in uh, return the whole fund as they say right. It's like that sponsorship can get 
tons of, of business through one of those things. How do you think about setting up sponsorships? Who do you target? How do you target? What type of engagements? Yeah, that's a good question because a lot of times when you go to an organization and you want to ask them about the opportunities, you know, they'll give you this whole price list. But what I really want to see is the media kit of the breakdown of who attends their events, who comes to their website. And many times, you know, because we target sales leaders, we target marketing leaders, they will just say, oh, yeah, marketing people. And I'm like, well, no, no, no. How many of them are the leaders? Are they, like, am, I, am I talking to the person who maybe? Um, does not have decision-making authority or even influencing authority. So what I really want to do is get a breakdown of how many decision-makers we could potentially reach. And then uh, you know, I try to see who else is advertising there. If all the companies that they have as prior sponsorships are nothing to do with our business or even complement, well, I guess if it's complementary to our business, I might consider it because there could be that overlap and maybe we could be first before our competitors get in there and sponsor But if there's nothing to do, then I kind of back off a little bit. I also try to do an analysis on whether the leads we get from these sponsorships could be top of the funnel or bottom of the funnel. Because if I'm getting too many top of the funnel leads, we know it takes a long time to nurture them. I don't know what percentage you're going to close. You know, I've got a proxy because we advertise on LinkedIn and I can take a look and see how the numbers flow out for LinkedIn and what that costs us to acquire a customer. So I'll use that as a proxy to kind of guess. But if they can deliver more bottom of the funnel leads, people looking for products, looking for data, looking for tools, then I'm willing to pay a bit more for it and, and I'd be more inclined to try it out too. So yeah, I got to put my little shield on to kind of get past the filters that the salespeople are trying to sell me for their sponsorships because you know they're going to get paid when they sell a deal. So, uh, so yeah, it's that media kit is really important. You know, one thing I wish... I wish more people actually broke down their media kit into with more granularity because of that. You know, like uh, knowing how many influencers and decision makers are in your list is an important thing. And so if publications just provided that, it doesn't take much work to actually figure it out. But if they just provided that, yeah, that would be, uh, I think they'd probably be able to close more deals. They need sales intel. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I worked in, in media for a while and it's a totally different, I mean, publishing content and the in-depth marketing analytics side of things are very two different, they're two different functions. And most media entities did not have the latter. So, you know, it's just, they, they didn't have a, a data team. They didn't have a chief data officer. They don't have, you know, uh, they weren't investing in data enrichment tools. They weren't doing any of that. It was just, hey, we, we're we really good at putting out stuff according to our calendar. So, you know, it's stuff. You know, I, the one thing that I, I, I would ask you that you didn't mention is this idea of like affinity. And I think that that is one of the um, things that those type of publications or anything that is affinity based. You take something like Saster, which is like, lots of people's favorite event of the year, right? They're like, Saster is amazing, right? Or Dreamforce or, you know, whatever whatever it is. I think of those types of sponsorships as like, if this is some type of experience that people love, that they will remember, that there's things about it. Like, you know, I talk about like, I remember seeing Bruno Mars, right? Like I, you know, and like, I remember where I was. I remember, you know, who I was talking to and all that stuff when I was at Dreamforce like a number of years ago. Like, I don't, I don't care about Bruno Mars at all, but I remember that, right? And so like those sort of things, those experiential things, uh, those type of sponsorships where you can really kind of be somewhere where somebody's happy or excited or whatever and, and get that affinity, I think is always important for sponsorship. 
memberships. And if it's something where you're just buying ad units, it's like, you know, for me, for my taste, I, that's not really enough. Yeah. And, you know, we, we try to look at it in the light of, of broader context for account, account-based marketing, for example. I know, um, you know, one of the strategies we used, uh, well, I recently joined Sales Intel, so I haven't been able to implement everything just yet. You know, it's fairly new to the role in, in this company. But just prior to this at, uh, at Wealth Engine, what we did was we used to send out boxes of cookies to strategically identified accounts. And I remember first talking to our team about it and saying, yes, we want to, we want to send them cookies. And, uh, of course, my engineering team's like thinking about cookie on your file that you'd get in a browser. I'm like, no, no, I'm talking a box of chocolate chips delivered to them, tasty cookies with a little note uh, that will be in touch. And we actually got lots of meetings just by sending cookies. Now, you know, given that a lot of people are working from home now, that became a lot harder. Another thing that, that worked pretty well, like, you know, merging online with um, physical media is to send, I don't know, a travel mug, coffee, uh, not a coffee mug. Everybody's got like a hundred coffee mugs, mm-hmm. but not just a random one with your company name on it because they don't have an affiliation with your brand yet. What they do have is an affinity to the university or college they went to. And so I, you know, I went to the University of Maryland. I love the Terps. I watch the ball games. I go to the games. If somebody sends me a Terps mug, I'll pay attention to that just because they did research on me. And they, they know I'm a, I'm a fan. And so uh, I actually have had conversations with people when they send me stuff like that. But not all the time. doesn't always fit. But, um, but you know, those are little things that people kind of overlook. It's like just sending them a gift, presuming that they're going to have some sort of affinity with your brand, not realizing they're probably getting a whole bunch of stuff like that and just go in the trash. So try to connect with their heart. And that's a, that's a, a good way to reach them. And their heart's going to be, for the most part, where they went to school. That's one, one easy target there. Yeah, it really is. You know, I always, I always think about, um, you know, like the classic, would they wear the t-shirt thing? Like the best t-shirts that I own are not ones that have the logo other than my Caspian t-shirt, which of course, of course, course is yeah, my favorite, one, yes. um, but, uh, yeah. it's not the, not the t-shirts that I got that have somebody's logo on the front. It's the ones that say something about, you know, who I am or, or, you know, the ones that are funny. We made these, we made these marketing shirts a while back that were really funny. Um, we were just making like messing around, making custom ones for, for the podcast. And, uh, I now just make a one-off one on like custom ink or wherever it was. Then I'd wear them to conferences and everyone would be like, Oh my gosh, where did you get that shirt? And like those sort of things, like it's not that hard to create something that's special and personalized. Like we had one that was like the, an SEO copywriter walks into a bar, bars, bar, pub, pubs, uh, like, you know, whatever, like that sort of thing. <laughs> that's yeah. a good one. I like um, <laughs> and, uh, what was the other one? Yeah. Oh, we had, um, was it, uh, Kip from Napoleon Dynamite? It's like, yeah, they they opened my white paper or they downloaded my white paper, so it's starting to get pretty serious and like stuff like that. But but the reason why I say that is because that speaks to like the marketer, right? And like on the back of the t-shirt, it said you know the URL, but on the front of the t-shirt, it's not the logo, right? It's it's the message. It's you know what that person wants to be identified, and I think people probably miss that a little bit too. I think that's spot on, Ian. That is spot on. Uh, yeah, a fun message that they'd, they'd be happy to wear. I think that's going to go a longer way. Yeah. All right, let's get into our next segment, the dust-up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting real. 
Dust Up is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or somebody else. Have you had a famous dust up in your career, Raj? Well, you know, look, I was a, a CEO for 25 years and I built a few companies, sold them to public companies. You kind of can't get that far without having a dust up or two. So, yeah, we've had situations where we've had, oh, you know, I've had competitors try to steal stuff. I've had... I've had all kinds of stuff like try to you know, happen, but you know, I, I think an overall theme is um, you know I manage by a lot of one-liners. My team will tell you Raj is full of one-liners, and here's one of them, and that is when in doubt, zoom out. So what I try to do is you keep a cool head, and you look at well, what's actually going on here? Is there somebody trying to do something that's illegal, unethical, just a little bit on the fringe, or are they just like genuinely like not sure? Maybe they're inexperienced. You know, I think maybe we've all encountered people who try to thump their chest and show how good they are. But, you know, that's a way of being, in, you know, they're a little insecure and they're not sure. And they're, so they're trying to, like, do this bravado thing. So I kind of try to zoom out and see where they are. So without naming any specific situations or instances, that's one, that's one thing. I will say one situation. This is long enough ago that it won't matter to share it. But I remember one time uh, there was a company that was being, uh, there was they were a partner of ours. And we are collectively putting together a really big pitch for one government agency. And this was like a you know, very large co potential contract. And they needed us, we needed them. And I remember sitting there talking about all kinds of really cool features that we have in our tool. And there was one hook that we had in our, our development as like an engineering thing. And the guy uh, who's our partner didn't know how we did it. And he kept asking me, and I finally showed him. And what he did is he took that hook, he put it into his system, bypassed us, and went and tried to go straight for that contract all by himself, you know, getting us, like, completely bypassed. That, that really got me ticked off, really got me ticked off. I'm like, we brought you into the deal, and you're using my technology idea. So we we parted ways really fast, but, you know, I, this is a small universe, and so stuff comes around, goes around, and, you know, the people that you see trying to climb up are the same ones you can see on your way down <laughs> and so or vice versa so i think it's really important to be ethical and um just you know try to help people so you know i have another thing that i do and i, I look at it like this it's just share the love I think it's really important to just share the love. Uh, if anybody looks at my LinkedIn posts, they're all about just sharing stuff that I know. I'm not trying to keep any secrets. I've been very fortunate in my career, you know, been able to build companies, work with other high growth companies. And so there's a few things that I've picked up along the way. So I try to put them in maybe one minute video segments or just a quick write up, little tidbits here and there. And I just share them. And I think, uh, I think that's, that's the way I feel like everybody really should be. Just just share the love. Don't hold back your knowledge. My last, uh, well, I guess by the time this podcast airs, it wouldn't be my last one. But one of my recent posts was about sharing your expertise. Nobody's going to believe you're an expert if all you do is talk about what you know. You actually have to show people what you know. So write articles, write a book, do a, do a webinar on your specific area of expertise and let it all out. Just share that knowledge. And so I know this is a little bit of a deviation from like your main topic of dust up, but I, I have found that the people who are very willing to share weather dust ups way better than those who don't. I love that. That's great. Uh, when in doubt, zoom out and, uh, and share the love. Raj speaks. Um, I love it. <laughs> I got so many one-liners, man. You should hear like I got the the other one that I use all the time. I didn't make up these one-liners. Like I heard them and I'm, I'm just kind of repeating them. But well, the other one is facts tell, stories sell, and so everything we do 
in our like our case studies, we're we're rewriting them, getting them focused on storytelling as opposed to uh, just facts. Like you ever see a case study? Aren't they boring? I mean, look, they might. I'll be honest. With you. Yeah, they tell you information that you want to know, but every one of them has got this standard format. It'd be just so nice to read a quick short story every now and then. You can still make it in sections and stuff, but just get them engaged. You know, give them goosebumps. We used to do that at uh, my last company. We were helping. We provided data to help companies, uh, nonprofits generate funds. And if there's an industry that has figured out how to touch somebody's heart, it is a nonprofit industry. You ever watch one of these these donation videos? They, you got a tear coming out of your eye right before you will, you know. And they play that right when they want you to whip out your wallet at a gala, right? So uh, they do that intentionally. But everybody responds to storytelling because we can see our lives playing out in someone else's story. So that's the other big thing that I try to push. Again, I know we deviated from our little healthy tension dust-up topic, but I just thought I'd share those little <laughs> one-liners that I use from time to time. So I love it. I love it. Do you have uh, Do you have a favorite campaign uh, that you've run over the years? Yeah, one of the campaigns we ran uh, was it was targeting uh, MSPs, managed service providers, and one of the things that their CEOs because many of these companies tend to be smaller, not really large companies. They tend to struggle with marketing and understanding how they can actually penetrate the, the, the client base they want. So what we did is we created a marketing campaign template for them. And it was a step-by-step, 12-month marketing plan. Month one, do X, Y, Z, all the way back. And it wasn't just individual things. So something that you do in month six tied back because you did something in month three that will then work great in month seven. So it was a very well thought out, fully laid out plan. And it was not pros. It was bullet points. So easy to follow, like a checklist. So we put that out there as um, a free downloadable marketing plan template. But then what we also did is we went out to our partners who were trying to reach the same audience with complementary products and services. And we said, if you'd like, you can co-brand this and send it out to your audience too. So one of our partners uh, at the time, this was when I was running one of my companies, was Barracuda, Barracuda MSP, large organization. And at the time, this ended up becoming a very big marketing play for them. And in fact, I think if some, if you went online and typed in MSP marketing plan, it was like the like number two, three hit on Google and people were downloading it like crazy. So we ended up generating a lot of very qualified leads very quickly uh, for that market. So that was, that was one of our best ones. What about a, a learning experience or a campaign that didn't go so well? Yeah. Oh God, where do I start? I think, you know, this, I think we've all had some really miserable fail, failures. So I, th- I think uh, as an overall comment on like our really bad ones, I think that's when we didn't test our messaging enough and spun a lot of cycles, spent a lot of money on messages that just fell flat. And so something that we thought in the, you know, in the, in the conference room was a great idea when we actually go out and test it to market, just, we just went flat. One of them was actually a product idea. So I was running um, running an email marketing firm at the time. My, my firm was called Mailer Mailer. We ended up growing it. We sold it to J2 Global. And in the course of building the company, we had lots of our customers say, oh, I'd love to be sending SMS campaigns. So I said, oh, well, that would be pretty cool. Why don't we go ahead and like just add an extension to ours? And so we dug deeper and we found out all of the money we'd have to pay to, to get the messages out because there's all kinds of regulations. You can't just spam people through text and all and so, um, so we came up with a price point. Well, our price points that we had to charge were nowhere near what people were willing to pay. 
And so I actually dodged a bullet there because we were about to launch this thing, build it out and all that. And I saved a lot of money because we actually did testing ahead of time. <laughs> and we just asked customers, so what would you pay for this? Oh, I would never pay that. <laughs> and so then we're like, oh, gosh, enough times you hear that. And then you're like, yeah, not a good idea for us. So, yeah, so we stopped that one. All right, let's get into our final segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like conversational marketing with Qualified. We love Qualified. They're the freaking best. You can go to Qualified.com to learn more. You can talk to a sales rep right now on Qualified.com. Qualified prospects are on your website right now. You can talk to them quickly if you're using Qualified. Quick and easy, just like these questions, Raj. Are you ready? All right. Number one. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? If I weren't in marketing or business, all right, so behind me is a Roland electronic drum set. So I might be on stage doing a show. <laughs> so that's a, I used to be in a Bollywood band actually. So a long time ago, but I gave it up to have kids. And so I don't do that anymore, but I would, I loved it. I'd be, I'd be in a band. Do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show that you've been checking out recently? Favorite book is uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Second set of favorite books, actually, there's a couple of them. One of them is called Power Questions. Um, I love that book. It actually has lots of wonderful questions for all kinds of scenarios in your life, including giving demos. So that's a good one to check out. What is your number one piece of advice for first-time head of growth trying to figure out demand gen? Start with SEO. Pay a lot of attention to SEO. It works because it's based on data. I'm a numbers guy. I'm an engineer by training. Numbers numbers aren't lying to you. So start there. What do you do for fun? Well, right now, uh, thank, thankfully, my kids are driving, so I don't have to drive them everywhere, but I used to play soccer. So I kind of get out there, do a little yoga with my wife, you know? So yeah, a little bit of that. And of course, music. Awesome. Raj, thanks so much for joining the show. For our listeners, go to salesintel.io to learn more. Really cool company, and uh, and, and we're huge fans of what, what you all are doing. So check them out. Raj, any final thoughts here? Anything to plug? Uh, well, you know, I, I mentioned we're hiring like crazy. Uh, if somebody is looking for uh, an opportunity in a very fast growth company, you know, that's uh, uh, they don't come along as often as you might hope in your career. And so if you're looking for a, a, a conversation about possibly accelerating your career, I'd love to talk to you, whether it's in marketing or sales. So thank you for allowing me to share that, Ian, and thank you for having me on. Oh, yeah. And I should say you also have a, a, a conference coming up. Um, what, can you share more about that? That's right. Actually, in October, October 13th and 14th, uh, 2021, we have our customer conference on. Everybody will be invited. You don't have to be a customer to, to be invited. But it is uh, it is going to be It's a, a pretty unique information that you might not just hear on, on other channels. So we're inviting uh, some of our customers to speak. Uh, we're inviting industry experts to speak. So topics include things like uh, how to architect your entire go-to-market strategy, four things that you have to include in your outbound emails. Lots of really useful information. So if you'd like that, just um, actually, you can just ping me on LinkedIn, just type in Raj Kara. I'm going to be the first one that pops up and just send me a note. Love to connect with you on LinkedIn. And uh, pretty soon we'll have all the registration information up at salesintel.io. So you can sign up. Love it. Thanks again, Raj. Uh, we'll link that stuff up in the, uh, in the show notes and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at qualified.com conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.